Our first reading is from Genesis 37, verse 1 through 4. It can be found page 60 in your pew Bibles. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of, the, uh, of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them, to him. The second reading is from the New Testament, Matthew 14, verse 22 through 36, page 1520 in your pew Bibles. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennarset. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess with your great disciple Peter that we can go nowhere else, for you alone have the words of life. Lord, we need a word for the living of these days. Speak to us today, O oh God, and may we know more of your mercy and grace love and your peace. Lord, may our hearts be changed, transformed, renewed, and refreshed, having encountered you today. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Have you ever made plans, put a lot of effort into preparation, had everything lined up and ready to go, embarked upon your journey, only to have things go terribly awry? That's happened to a few of you. I think it was in 2011 or 12, Amanda and I set out for Maine in the summertime. And we decided that instead of uh, staying with a relative en route to my hometown or finding a motel, that we would camp. That should have been the first sign that things were not going to go well. You see, I like to think of myself as a camper. I'm not fooling anybody. We had tents. We were gonna. We found a campground. We were gonna do. You know, start a fire. All those things. So we gathered everything, we packed our car. Now this was before you could just pull up your smartphone and go to your Maps app and find out where you were going. I had a, remember those old big mounted units you'd get for your dashboard that you'd have to then take out and plug into your computer now and then? Garmin, that was what it was, a Garmin. So we had a Garmin on there, which again, the second clue to this ending uh, not as planned should have been that I hadn't updated it in. Several years. So I had my out-of-date Garmin. I had my tent, which I don't like to use anyway. Went online to MapQuest and printed off the directions just to be safe. It's reasonable, right? We had, a, we had a, another backup set of directions. So we were ready. We embarked. We had packed everything. We had made a list. Or rather, Amanda had made a list. I don't do lists. Amanda made a list. We got ready to go. He set off to... New Hampshire. We were going to stop in New Hampshire and then go to Maine the second day of that journey. So we're driving through. We're keeping an eye on the time. And we get to New Hampshire and it's starting to get a little dark. It's, you know, after dinner time. So we're driving and I'm trying to follow the map quest directions that Amanda has as I'm watching and listening to the Garmin. (laughs) And we're going from a highway to a county road town road to what looks like someone's driveway to a dirt road that ends in the woods and guess what the Garmin said to me you have arrived at your destination like heck I have I think at this point uh, this was a trial by fire for our marriage Because I'm the sort of person, when I get frustrated, I just double down. There's no turning back. I was right. And Amanda's trying to, we need to stop and ask for directions. No, I got this. We're good. Well, finally I got out of there as the the one light in the distant farmhouse came on at like 10 o'clock. And you know, I'm thinking like this is a scene from a horror movie. Here in the middle of the woods, on this weird dirt road, the one house, the light's coming on. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm like, we have got to get out of here. So the Garmin tells me it's rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. We make our way down this other road, finally stop at a gas station, ask for directions. He tells me where the campground is. We get to the sign for the campground, and guess what? Permanently closed. 
At this point, confession time for the pastor. I'm probably saying words that pastors... (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't think that we're probably speaking to each other at this point. Find a place where there's a hotel. We get to the hotel. We crash. The next morning, we're more cordial toward each other. We say, we'll never speak of this to anyone. (laughs) Except for St. Paul's United Methodist Church. Has something like that ever happened to you? You've, You've made preparations. You think you know where you're going. You've got your directions. You have a backup set of directions. You've made your list. You've taken everything you think you need for the journey. Only to have things go terribly amiss. As we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, and today we're introduced to our last character in this story of this deeply dysfunctional family that begins with Abraham and Sarah, and then Isaac and Rebekah, and then Jacob and his wives, Rachel and Leah, and then now Jacob and Rachel's son, Joseph. And all through these stories, we find a deeply dysfunctional hurtful family. There is polygamy, there is incest, there's lying, there's deceiving, there's cheating people out of things that by right are theirs, as we saw with Jacob and Esau. And yet, even in the midst of all of that, God uses this family to work out his purposes in the world. And so as we come to these stories, which are, which are given to us in all of its human messiness, so that we might pull from it principles for our own walk of faith, as today we're introduced to Joseph, we find in Joseph's life, of which we will sort of take a bird's eye view over the next few weeks, that his life... And the stories that we find from Genesis 37 to 50 is a life where preparation was made, a plan was made. He started out on his journey and yet over and over and over again, he finds that he has to reroute. There's a detour here. There's a detour there. Things do not go as planned for him on his journey, even though preparations have been made. Even though there was a dream for Joseph's life, he's the father's favorite. He's given that beautiful coat which would have signified his status in the family, which really should have been reserved for the oldest and the firstborn. But because Jacob loves him more than all of his other sons, he treats him differently. And so he sets him on a trajectory. One that, from all appearances, would have been a life of ease and luxury. And yet over and over again, plans that were made, the dream that was there, the journey upon which he had embarked, runs into things again and again and again. In chapter 37, which Mary read the beginning for us, where we're introduced to Joseph, we find a young man of 17 years old who is his father's favorite. He's also deeply immature. 
See, he's been given a gift. And if you know the life of Joseph, you know what that gift is. He dreams dreams, and then he can interpret dreams. And there in chapter 37, he has a dream about his brothers and his family and how they're all going to bow down to him. And so you know what he does in his immaturity? He goes to his brothers and he tells them, guess what? I had a dream and y'all are going to bow down and worship me. You know, maybe if you have a dream about somebody else and they're like worshiping you, maybe don't tell them that. I don't know. So he tells them this dream, but what happens? That makes them hate him even more. He's already his, his father's favorite. They know that. They see it. And now he's having dreams where he rules over them and they bow down to him. So in their jealousy and their anger, they find an opportunity to get rid of this problem. And they're out tending their flocks and Joseph goes to them. This is how much they don't like him. When it's time to go out and tend the flocks in the morning, they say, shh, hurry, let's go before Joseph gets up so that he doesn't have to come with us. Well, Joseph, you know, gets up. He finds out, oh, my brothers, they've gone without me. Where did they go? He finds out where they've gone. He goes to them. And in their anger and their jealousy, they take him, they strip him of his coat, this beautiful coat that his father had given him, and they throw him down deep in a well. And a little bit later on, after they've hatched a plan on how to deceive Jacob and say, oh yeah, he was killed, they, they cover it in animal's blood. But then some slave traders who were heading down to Egypt come along. And they say, well, maybe this is a better way to get rid of him. We won't just leave him down there to, you know, die a slow death. We'll just sell him into slavery. So those traders come along, they meet, and for 20 pieces of silver, they give rid of him to the slave traders who then take him down to Egypt. Now, for Joseph, for the favored son, this is not how his journey was supposed to go. Plans had been made for this young man. I am sure his father Jacob and his mother Rachel had all sorts of dreams for how his life would be and how things would turn out. Joseph himself had dreams about how things might unfold of his brothers and his parents even bowing down and worshiping him. And now he finds himself stuck at the bottom of a cistern And then taken by slavers to go down to a country where he doesn't speak the language, where they have different customs, and where he is bought and sold like a cheap possession. Do you think Joseph's journey was going the way that he had anticipated? Not at all. You know, if we can take these stories and if we can mine them, dig deep into them, as the writer of Hebrews says, to pull out principles for our own life of faith, we find something deeply instructive, even at the very beginning here of Joseph's life. And that's this. Sometimes in life, 
as we journey with God and as he's leading and guiding us, sometimes we need to run into detours. There are times we need to hear rerouting where we need the plans that we had made, where, where they need to be changed and interrupted. Because God is bringing us to a place, but we can only arrive in that place by way of a different route than we had ever planned or imagined. You see, Joseph, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks, becomes second in command in Egypt. He becomes the, the prime minister, as it were, to the Pharaoh. He becomes a person of incredible influence and deep maturity. And yet he could only get to that place through difficulty and trials and tribulations. He goes from a 17-year-old immature wise guy, lording his status as the privileged and favored son over his brothers to someone who with deep wisdom and maturity and graciousness, and kindness, and empathy becomes one who influences everything that happens in Egypt. But he could not go from there to there by following the route that he had planned to go into his destiny, that is the the thing for which God had designed for him from the beginning, for him to be able to reach a position of influence and status He had to go through difficulty. Now it seems here in Western society and in American Christianity, we are so averse to difficulty. We don't want hardship. We don't want trials. And at the first sign of things going wrong, so often our response is to to flee far from it to try to insulate ourselves from from pain and from difficulty. And yet over and over again in Scripture, and friends, even if we look to fellow Christian believers all around the world, we find this, that difficulty, that trials, that tribulations lead to great, deep spiritual maturity. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you know why? Because they were not ready to go right from Egypt into the promised land. God had to do some work with them. We find Paul, the greatest missionary and evangelist of the Christian faith, for three years before he embarks on his missionary journeys, gets led out into the wilderness where he wrestles with God. That's all preparation for him to be able to do the work that God had called him to do. Even our Lord himself, for 40 days, before he steps into his ministry of healing, of teaching, of casting out demons, of taking care of the sick, of teaching of the kingdom of God, he has to go through his own period where he wrestles with temptation, where he's hungry and thirsty, where he's tired and hot. And fed friends, Christian believers all around the world, living in difficult places, we find where the church is growing the most, exploding with growth, are in places deeply hostile to the Christian faith. There seems to be a correlation. 
between difficulty, between our plans that we had laid for ourselves, being interrupted, facing obstacles that we could not have seen, encountering detours along the way that frustrate us and get us angry and cause us to wonder what is going on. But it is because of all that that we can really step into the thing that God has for us. Friends, as we look at the life of Joseph, we find someone who in chapter 50, at the very end of Genesis, when he's reunited with his family, can say these words, you meant this for evil, talking to his family. But God took it and made something good out of it. You meant this for evil. You wanted to hurt me. You wanted to see me die. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've had family abandon you at the bottom of a well. Maybe you've had people say all sorts of things about you, spread lies and rumors about you, just like Potiphar's wife did for Joseph. Maybe you found yourself in a dungeon chained up. Maybe things have happened to you that other people meant for evil. But God in his wisdom can take all of that and lead you to a place where you are good where you are wise and mature, where you find that you're more compassionate and empathic toward the suffering of other people than you ever would have been had you not gone through that difficulty. You find that your heart is expanded, where you love others more, where you're more merciful and kind and gracious, where you're more hungry for seeing justice happen in our world, all because of the difficulties you've gone through. Because the plans maybe that you had made didn't go the way you expected them. But that was God's design all along to lead you to a place where you could serve him and serve others well. Friends, wherever you are today, Maybe you're in a pit of despair. Maybe you don't know what's coming down the road. Maybe you feel that your plans have been foiled again and again and again. Take heart. Because there's someone working in you and in the world around you. And if by faith we can trust the one who has brought us this far, we know that he will carry us the rest of the way. Even though it is a way that we may not know, even though it's a path that we may not have picked out for ourselves, we don't go it alone. There is someone with us, guiding us every step of the way and taking all the bad.